Round two. Ding. Podcast brought to you by Whiskey Sours and Catastrophic Failure. Uh, so I am Jason. It's not catastrophic, and I'm Craig. I'm Ross. All right. So I think this week we're going to start out with electricity and mining. Mm-hmm. Um, how does electricity work? It's like magnets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Earth magic? Miracles. That's better. Um, so brief explanation of electricity. It's measured in watts, which is volts times amps. Yeah. What? Uh, we're doing it. <laughs> Ooh, um, I wanted to hurt myself on that. So one. we should probably start by saying that for those who aren't familiar, most miners, cryptocurrency miners like Bitcoin miners, use a lot of power, a Fair. lot. What? So, <laughs> like, like you know, think fourteen hundred watts. Think like a space heater that's always running, except for it sounds like a vacuum. Uh huh. Yeah, but this so. is a space heater that makes you money. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people like to use miners as heaters, you know, in the winter because they off, you know, they, they might as well use the heat. Yes. So, yeah, um, they're the in that server room. Yep. AKA the sauna. Right. So, um, obviously, it's uh, become a concern for some people as the world mining. Uh, like power has increased exponentially in the last few years. More people that, mining, more mining power. Right, exactly. Yeah. So they're they're saying, hey, how much electricity are we spending on this? You know, like that could be an environmental concern to some people and or, or to all of us. Uh, <laughs> only so, if you live here. Yeah, only if you are native to Earth. Um, so, so Elon Musk doesn't care. Right, right. He's the only one that doesn't have yeah, to. Yeah. John Tesh is an alien too, isn't he? Just thought can, we were naming people who wouldn't care because they can return right. to their mother. Well, yeah. Confirm or deny. Yeah. But maybe. He didn't wink. Anyway, most, like, we, we obviously do a lot of troubleshooting with people who buy miners. And uh, it feels like nine out of ten times that when they have an issue, it's related to power. So, you know, today we That's are, fair. you know, addressing um, this, you know, question, which is, you know, <laughs> How much power are all these things using, you know, worldwide and, and uh, other random tidbits related to that? So, um, short answer, a lot, a lot, yeah, like, like Ireland. an Ireland, like one Ireland, maybe two, maybe two. So, yeah. Hard to guess. You know, it depends on how efficient their hardware is, which there is a slew of. So, could be a bunch of different things. So uh, I have a circuit at home. I have a panel that has stuff plugged in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have breakers plugged in to prevent fires for, or some other catastrophic failure. Right. Or damaging my products that I have plugged in, such as a miner, if I'm running a miner. Yep. I live in a home in Michigan, and as a result, most of mine are typically 110 volts. Yes. Most of your circuits. Most of my circuits are 110 volts. Yep. And 110 to 120 volt, yep. And arguably, probably what, like maybe... Uh, 80 amp? 15 amp per circuit and you're on either a 1 or 200 amp panel so um, that's that's typical across most of the US so it depends okay. on how old the home is and how large the home is but um, you know most modern homes I feel like are you know rocking a, a good 150 or 200 amp panel um, and almost all the circuits with the exception of maybe a washer and dryer are uh, or maybe the microwave one but most of them are 110 120 volt and uh, since we know that volts multiplied by the amperage uh, of the circuit equals watts, what? But then I'm sorry for your we can, this number three joke doesn't keep then count. We this know not dying. <laughs> we know that the maximum you know power that can be drawn from a home circuit is roughly 110 volts times 15 amps. So, you know, we're in the 1,500-watt range, you know, uh, maybe 1,600. But there's a problem. You don't really ever want to run a circuit at above 80% capacity for any length of time. So you really cut that down to, you know, 80% of 1,500. Um, it's just a safety thing. I, I don't know why, but electricians have always told me that you always want to be at 80% or below. And if you Google it, you'll see it everywhere. So Crypto miners are nothing if not a group who likes to play fast and loose. You're right. You've got to come more correct than that. You're right. Uh, it's it's a danger. It's, um, you know, you have Would it high like risk be because at that voltage and amperage running so high that 
the temperatures would increase and it'd get hot and probably a fire hazard. Yeah, that's that's a possibility since we're at 110 volt um, instead of, say, 220 volt, which a lot of the power supplies are designed for, uh, for these mining devices. Um, that means that the amperage has to be twice as high. And the amperage, the higher the amperage, means that you're uh, dealing with the resistance in the wire. Uh, voltage doesn't really affect that. But amperage is, you know, the current going through that wire. And as electricity flows through a wire, every time it runs into an obstacle, that's resistance uh, and it creates heat. So uh, thin wires are too small to dissipate that heat quickly and they heat up. And that's a, that's a fire hazard. So let's say you go with something like a, a 14 AWG wire, which is nice and thick. Um, you can, you know, push, you know, a lot more amps through it than you could say a 16 or an 18 AWG gauge wire, which is thinner than the 14 AWG. So the higher the number, the higher the number, thinner, the thinner. Wire. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of weird. But. So really quickly, the benefit then to a 220 volt circuit is that because it roughly doubles the volts of a 110 or 120, you will then have the amperage. Exactly. Yep. Which means that you've got, you know less resistance and right. less heat coming off of that wire um, so that runs more efficiently now the other the other important part of that is people like to sometimes get thick wires which is good and then they get really long wires and resistance accumulates over the distance of the wire so really if you're interested in being as power efficient as possible while mining you want to have the shortest thickest runs i'm gonna leave that one alone mm -hmm. it would be very uncouth and unprofessional to Make a joke here. Mm -hmm. Yes, quite indeed. Joke. Um, so, linking electricity maybe to water, would the voltage kind of be the amount of water that you have, and amperage is the rate at which it can flow through whatever channel it has? Wattage would be the amount of water. Uh, voltage would be like the speed that the water is running through the river. Um, amperage would be like the width of the river. Um, okay. So, yeah. That's a good. That's a good explanation. All the I rocks, like all the rocks in the river, I like water based are resistance. Analogies. You know, it's measured in ohms. Um. Oh my! Oh <laughs> yeah! Jokes for days. We had a water one. I didn't good. even nope. make a damn joke. Nope. It, was, it was organic. It was timely. I, I find no fault. You know. Uh, so with all of this electricity and water sorted. Um, <laughs> All we need now is a firebender. Um, so according to a couple of articles that we discovered, because uh, you're curious, because electricity, or these miners take a significant amount of electricity to run. Mm -hmm. How much of the world's worldwide, planet-wide energy is being used to mine magic money? <laughs> In a year, just about the same amount of power the entire country of Ireland uses. And that's just Bitcoin. And that's, that's just Bitcoin. That's not Bitcoin Cash or any of the other... Which admittedly has the biggest market yes, share right. of everybody Bitcoin is out the biggest, there. Yeah. But yes, it should be said but, they're not the only player right. in the game. There's a lot of other you know, coins that are being mined that isn't being calculated in that. And if you were just look at cryptocurrency mining overall, you know, the estimates for Bitcoin alone are at half a percent of the world's power. You know, uh, I think that it's actually much higher. Uh, you know, there are ranging estimates from... You know, 2.6 gigawatts uh, to 7.7 .7 gigawatts at any given moment is being used for Bitcoin mining. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually much closer to 10 gigawatts, you know, if you count in everything else. Um, and it's hard to also know um, how efficient everyone's mining devices are. A lot of these calculations were based on the Antminer S9 14 terahash per second model, which is more efficient than a lot of other competitor miners have been historically, including previous Bitmain models. Therefore, there's probably a lot of people with free electricity, you know, or cheap electricity that are running much older, less efficient hardware, which means that, you know, these estimates are probably conservative. And a lot of people, you know, this, this brings up the question of, of is proof of work algorithms, are proof of work algorithms the best choice as opposed to proof of stake, which is much, much less electricity. I think we covered proof of work versus, versus proof of stake in one of our first videos. Um, but basically proof of work, you've got a bunch of computers that are brute force attacking, trying to crack the code that solves the, the encryption method or the encryption algorithm on these blocks that are added to the blockchain. 
proof of stake is more of a consensus type, um, you know, uh, monitoring nodes that don't scale up in power as they do more. Um, so you could, you know, run a, a node on a Raspberry Pi, a tiny little computer that uses, you know, very, very little electricity and it could scale with any size network. So, um, yeah, there's pros and cons, but, um, you know, I think that if uh, people were to redesign Bitcoin today, it might be proof of stake instead of proof of work. There's benefits and cons to each and proof of work was definitely the right choice considering that their concern at the time was, you know, an outsider attacking with more processing power. At this point, nothing, nothing in the world even comes close to the processing power being dedicated to Bitcoin mining. I mean, you look at the, the top supercomputers of the world and they aren't even remotely close in size to how much power is being dedicated to these things. So the chance of an external attack is, is pretty ridiculous at this point. Therefore, proof of work worked. And <laughs> oh, it's just a day for that stuff, huh? Right. Uh, and one could argue that, you know, we've outgrown the need for it. And uh, something like Ethereum, which is actually in the process of moving from proof of work to proof of stake, you know, could be in Bitcoin's future. However, there's a lot of people who've invested a lot of money in mining hardware and they would not be happy. So, so you couldn't a, retrofit either by reflashing with different oh, firmware no. or something like no. that because of the, the nature of the ASIC right. hardware. Yeah, the ASIC would no possible. longer be needed. You know, any general computer, little Raspberry Pi. You know, the, the little control computer on top of the miner could probably do it. But the rest of the hashing boards would be irrelevant. So, <laughs> yeah, it would be... Uh, Everybody needs paperweights. Sure. Right, right. Yeah, tell Maybe that to the guy who thousands uh, of paperweights. Tell that to the people who just spent millions on you know hardware, and they might disagree. Mm. But well, I mean, it's always segregated witness. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's that's a future episode. Yeah, segwit. Oh, so I think that does it for electricity. I think Raiden can now go home. Uh, next up is what the F is a Bitcoin. And this time, where in the world is Satoshi Nakamoto? Oh, Who's yes. Satoshi Nakamoto for the kids out there? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Guess that one's done. We know he authored the original white paper that uh, described Bitcoin. It's basically the Bitcoin manifest. You know, it was um, titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. And in it, he explained exactly how everything works, how it should work. And uh, basically with the release of that, and I believe late 2008, um, you know, that was the you know, first thing that most people saw about Bitcoin. And that wasn't until I believe January 2009 that we, uh, the Genesis block was first mined. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, so the problem is we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. We know it's a, a made up name that um, well, we believe it is, but uh, the person who who called themselves that didn't want to be known. He didn't want to. He was anonymous. There's been a whole range of conspiracy theories as to why that is. Um, but I mean, I I think the one that I probably like most is he had the foresight of of Prometheus, or being able to learn from Prometheus with foresight. Prometheus gave everybody fired, and he was rewarded to have his liver plucked out for the rest of his days. By an eagle. Oh, she knew a large rock. Smart, yeah. I mean, English majors! Considering he mined nearly a million bitcoins and then went dormant, silent, and decided that he wasn't going to be part of the bitcoin system anymore. And now we play the waiting Sometime in 2010, 2011, I don't know. Um, before you, it was cool. Before bitcoin blew up. There's a lot of people who would love to get their hands on that money. Uh, you know, that's worth billions of dollars now so uh yeah he could be a very wealthy individual however there's been zero activity i was just gonna say as again the resident noob you say that and my brain goes well if he had all those many 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 bitcoins the moment he she they tried to do something with them the whole world would know he'd be instantly notified yeah. right okay. since bitcoin is a distributed ledger that everybody has a copy of we can all see all the coins that were mined by the original person or people. And we can see that those coins have laid dormant and never moved ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like that's, you know, the moment that those coins moved, then we would know 
that someone has Satoshi Nakamoto's private key. And that person is, you know, it'll probably be a very bad day for Bitcoin because I feel like a lot of the, the price has adjusted to account for the, the sake that those million Bitcoins that he mined are probably lost and never coming back. Therefore, the supply is less and that increases, you know, demand and scarcity. Do you say that purely from like an Occam's razor standpoint? And the reason I ask that, given what little bit I've learned about the concept behind why Bitcoin was even created in the first place, stands to reason if the person slash people who were responsible for its creation in the first place recognized right off the bat based on the inherent technology being used, the entire idea of a 51% attack slash controlling stake, whatever you want to call it, would obviously throw everything into chaos and disarray. Would grabbing that many Bitcoins right out of the gate perhaps be looked at as a preventative measure? I don't know. Um, I mean, a lot of people originally looked at Bitcoin and thought this seems like a scam because it's essentially been pre-mined by the founders. You know, and therefore, at any moment when we gain some value here, the original founder can come back and cash out and totally destroy the price, you know, because he has so many coins. The original pump and dump. The original pump and dump. You know, one would argue, why hasn't he done it yet? He's had many, many golden opportunities that he could have cashed out and been set for many lifetimes. Um, the answer is that the person probably is dead. I mean... That's, that's my opinion, I should say. You know, um, there has been so much controversy about Bitcoin in the last year, you know, related to the direction it should go, that it seemed like if that person who invented it existed still, they would weigh in. Um, it'd be difficult, and they could do it anonymously. Um, and they could also prove who they were simply by signing a message using their private signature, which only they have. There are people out there who have claimed to be Satoshi Nakamoto, but have not publicly signed anything using their signature, which makes me call BS on their claim. So, I mean, it's just, it's so easy for the original founder to prove who they are. Unless, of course, the original founder, Satoshi, lost his private keys, which is also a possibility. Um, if he lost his private keys, then he wouldn't have any way of, you know, proving through the blockchain who he is. He would have to prove you know, through other means, uh, you know, but all of his email addresses, his accounts have all been dormant. They've all been silent for many years. And it's just like, okay, well, it seems like this person has gone off the grid or is no longer alive. So. Yeah. And we all lived happily ever after. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, for him, attention dead. spent, you know, trying to figure out who this is. And there's been some people accused of being Satoshi Nakamoto who weren't. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Newsweek a few years ago thought they found the guy. in Australia, right? Uh, no, there's a guy here in the U.S. Um, oh. You know, with the guy in Australia, I think you're thinking it was Craig Wright who is actively claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, yeah, I think he's got that a guy's few... likely a dingleberry. Yeah, um, he's, he's got a few other uh, motives for his, you know, actions. But like I think money? He's... Yeah. I like money. Yeah, he's, he's got some credibility issues, to say the least. Um, <laughs> however, uh, there was, you know, Newsweek a few years ago thought they found the real Satoshi Nakamoto, and they ended up you know, blowing up this guy's life who had basically never heard of Bitcoin. And you know, without any due diligence, you know, just published you know, uh, a very poorly reported article. Are you talking about Dorian? Yeah, right. Now, interestingly, um, a few blocks away from Dorian was Hal Finney, you know, who was another person who was the first person to receive Bitcoin from Satoshi Nakamoto. And people have theorized that maybe he was sending it to himself, as uh, often a person who developed something would test. Um, however, he's claimed that he's not. However, that has convinced people always. Um, you know, and uh, the point is, we don't currently know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. And it really doesn't matter because Bitcoin was designed to be the first trustless system of, of monetary value. It doesn't matter who Satoshi was because his, his, all the code is open source. Open source 
means that everyone can read everything for themselves and they can see that there's nothing hidden in the protocol, nothing hidden in the code, nothing hidden in the software. And it doesn't matter if you don't trust anybody because of the way the system's designed, you know that when you receive Bitcoin, you receive Bitcoin and it hasn't gone to anybody else. And when you send Bitcoin to someone else, you know that they received it and that you didn't send it to the wrong person as long as you've got all the info right. So it's it's a pretty cool you know thing that doesn't require a middleman. So the the end conclusion of who is Satoshi Nakamoto should be, who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. Um, this isn't a platform that is dependent on its creator. And it's become a lot more since he's left the scene. So um, am I curious? Yes. But does it affect Bitcoin at this point? Not really. Do you think Satoshi would be happy with where Bitcoin is currently? No, I don't. Which horse in the race do you think? I think he probably would have gone towards Bitcoin Cash instead of Bitcoin. Um, you know, he clearly wrote a couple times that, you know, when we get to the scaling issue, fine, increase the block size, which is exactly what the current Bitcoin core developers were re refusing to do. Um, because, as we know... Um, well, we know, but the viewer doesn't know. We'll get to that the viewer later. may not know. We'll get to that Bitcoin but... versus Bitcoin Cash later. That'll be a separate thing, because that's, I... that's a loaded... One I that has a lot of emotion behind it. I believe that's going to be the next topic of what the F is a Bitcoin. All right, is, yeah. Is forking yeah. and Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Mm. BTC versus BCH. Yep. Which will bring us to our favorite segment. <laughs> Time for the news. 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 <laughs> Oh, oh look at this handsome devil. Looking I can't wait to throw him all of my whatever the Indian Bitcoin currency is. is. So oh, that's a soul Mr. Sure, I'm gonna leave that right dead center. That deserves to be witnessed. <laughs> so Mr. Devish Darji was arrested in an airport in Delhi because of a scandal uh, that uh, the BitConnect scandal yeah um he was more or less offering and accepting millions of physical dollars in exchange Cash for crypto money. um the reason that this is a big deal and important is if you're not familiar with indian politics recently the new uh, prime minister president prime minister prime minister uh in a, an effort to crack down on black market deals and other unscrupulous activities Pretty much says, yeah. all of the 10 to $20 bills, just, I want them gone. Yeah. yeah. Forget it. Yeah. yeah. Burn them. If you have them, bring them to the bank. Yeah. We'll exchange them to whatever other currency. Why fives, fifties, and hundreds? Like, you may, you may think about how that would affect people here in the U.S. And, like, wow, there'd be some pretty upset people and, like, a lot of people who operate cash businesses, meaning they don't pay taxes, mm -hmm. um, you know, who would be upset. In Which was a big driving force behind the decision, right? Yes. Well, that and the black market. Crime, yeah. So six one way, half a dozen yeah. the other. So here in the U.S., you know, you could probably assume that eighty to ninety percent of businesses pay their taxes, like you know, at least some portion of them, mm -hmm. and are somewhat legit. India, it more it might be more like ten or twenty percent that are legit, and eighty percent that operate as cash only. Uh, India was a heavily cash dependent system. So when he did that, that was. It's, ruffle a lot yeah, of ruffle feathers. a lot of feathers, and it may have contributed to a lot of the run up in cryptocurrency uh, valuations because people are looking around and they're saying, "Wow, the government can just take my money and make it worthless at any given point." I and don't the like short that. answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. that's Guess called fiat, fiat currency. currency. Yep. Fiat currency. If you yep. don't know what a fiat currency is, please yep. tune into the last podcast where yep. we explain it. And uh, the U.S. No, could do the, the same thing podcast. if they wanted, and most other governments could do the same thing if they wanted, and that's something that scares people especially when some, a country that's as old and large as india does that um so naturally you have people fleeing to other currencies especially those who are still wishing to evade the government um so you end up with a lot of cryptocurrency and one of the cryptocurrencies that was heavily marketed in india was bitconnect which is to put it succinctly a ponzi scheme um they were using well, they were claiming to use Bitcoin to back BitConnect coin and promising interest rates between 1% and 2% per day. 
of where do I sign yeah. up? That's well, a good deal. You know, the funny thing is the system worked quite well Until... while while Bitcoin was going up. Right. But the moment that Bitcoin hiccuped, you couldn't complete that cycle again. Couldn't compete the Ponzi cycle. Yeah. It all fell apart, and a lot of people got duped out of a lot of money. Um, and uh, this is one of those people, and he was arrested. So I say this is great news. You know, um, will these people get their money back? Uh, probably not. Um, was this guy acting alone? No. no. Uh, this is one of many people who was Bertie are... Madoff acting alone? Yeah, no. right. Yeah. So it's 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 you know good to see that justice may be served to this individual, but um, it really just goes to, as a, a lesson to those who are not super familiar with how this stuff works is that when you have an unregulated you know system like this, there are so many people out there that are just preying on on foolish people who are looking to take advantage of people and are scamming people left and right um and that happens wherever there's money i was going to say to be fair that's that's not indicative of the industry as a whole that's just yeah there are certain but people the nature, out there who are giant slime balls. Exactly. Yeah. Way. I mean, they they held galas all over the world, you know, promoting this stuff and huge parties and like they really marketed the heck out of this. I mean, there's tons of YouTube channels and man, did they know how to shill on Reddit and all over the place. Mm, you know, pumping down. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it was it was a well coordinated effort, and uh, there were certainly many many other people who. Uh, are involved who did not who have not seen justice yet so um yeah interesting story though. yet hopefully yet. hopefully speaking of money lost speaking of money this loss, one to touch closer to home mm-hmm. mr michael turpin ceo of transform group which you likely will not know or be familiar with um but whose impact you felt uh he's helped uh funds Ethereum and other types of uh, uh, development groups. Yeah, Ethereum um, is a leading cryptocurrency that competes with Bitcoin. Yep. Uh, he is suing AT&T for $224 million. <laughs> um, $24 million, which he lost in actual coin value. Stolen coins. Stolen coins. We'll get to that. And $200 million in damages. For being jerks. Yeah. Right. They're not upstanding like Verizon and Comcast. (laughs) Right into the heart of the sun. Uh, So, basically, he's suing AT&T because someone was able to snatch his number. uh, Phone number, yeah. Yep, his phone number to his mobile phone, which was attached to his exchange. And once you have that information, it's really easy to get access to something you shouldn't. So, pretty much what happened is someone took a SIM card, jammed it into a different phone, called AT&T, Use information that you can easily search or find in public records to get the phone to activate the SIM that he had, deactivate the other SIM. Spoof the SIM, basically, yeah. Yeah, spoof the SIM, get access to his two-factor auth, go to the um, exchanges that he was part of, log in with the two-factor auth, and then transfer all of the coins that he had, which was at the time in January, worth $24 million, to their own accounts, Mm -hmm. to their own exchanges. Yep. So he's butthurt because AT&T's security policies are lax? Yeah. Yeah. For Yeah, I mean, AT&T indirectly allowed this stuff to happen by authorizing someone else other than him to have his text messages. That's a problem. Uh, I think he's got a very, very big uphill battle in court. Um, but... Yeah, I don't think he's going to be successful, honestly. But if he was, that would be a nice little wake-up call for for big tech companies to get their security online. Um, So what are ways that this could have been avoided if he was a little bit more tech-savvy? Two-factor authentication. Correct. Yeah. But A third-party two-factor authentication. They they got around Mm -hmm. that because they spoofed his his cell phone. So he had two-factor auth enabled. Uh, It wouldn't have mattered in this case. So, oh, right. That's that's the important part. So a SIM pin, a SIM pin would have helped possibly, um, where someone uh, trying to authenticate with your SIM card or another SIM card on your account would need a pin code that you would only you would know. That is useful in helping uh, prevent people from spoofing your SIM. I mean, 
as long as AT&T is in charge or any other big companies in charge centrally, you could always have someone social engineer enough to, to gain access to your account. That's a risk. Um, True hacking, yeah. social engineering. There are a lot of other features that are enabled on exchanges, though, where you can limit the you know maximum withdrawal per day, uh, set waiting periods, all sorts of other things where you can kind of slow down someone who has gained access to your account, um, you know, and, and hopefully get in there and fix it before they're able to do too much damage. Um, but that's uh, that's just you know up to each exchange so yeah there, you can't be too careful in this situation um another great way to avoid this is to not keep your coins on an exchange um so when you put your money your your cryptocurrency on an exchange they own the private keys you don't typically um oh. yeah so you know they've issued you an iou of basically on paper and you trust that they're going to give it to you when you ask for it Otherwise, no one would use the exchange because why would you? Right. Um, just like a bank. Um, but, you know, if your money is, if you're just storing it somewhere, it's much better to get your own hardware wallet with your own private key that is secure somewhere, not accessible from the internet, um, and keep it, you know, off the grid, if you will. Um, make it completely impossible for someone to get to it. So, Aside from the lack of convenience of not being able to instantaneously access your stuff, is there any other downfall to that approach? Um, I mean... Obviously, the security improvement is huge right. and enough of a motivator. Um, some people have brought up the fact that it's difficult for... Um, it's difficult if you were to like pass away or die or become unable to uh, you know, manage your own stuff to have other people know what to do with that. Um, but you know, there's some great guides online that you can print off and put with your physical wallet if you want, like hardware wallet. Um, you know, I would recommend probably not just using a software wallet on a laptop or something unless you back it up and have other people who know exactly how to use it. Um, I would really recommend something like a, a Ledger Nano S or something that's you know hardware based that is relatively secure. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be connected to the internet to you know be stored somewhere. So. If you got a, if you got a, a computer that you back up that you have disconnected from the internet, that would be good too. But um, most people don't have that, so an air gap computer. An air gap computer. Around, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't. yeah. It's it's like you've got this big wad of electronic cash that can be moved anywhere in the world instantly. Having it connected to the internet's not so wise. <laughs> That's right. So yeah. This is your quick crypto grain PSA. Please put a SIM pin on your phone. Yes. Otherwise. The man's going to steal your Otherwise, you have to sue AT&T as well. Yep. <laughs> Good luck. Next. Vitalik. Vitalik. Vince. Vital talk. Vitamin. Ethereum guy. Mr. Ethereum himself. Uh, recently announced or proposed a new kind of algorithm which negates the concern of a 51% attack. Very cool. Very cool. Because that's one of the larger concerns, especially I think Ethereum has in regards to... Uh, ASIC mining, things like that. Yeah. I'm curious if um, this would work with proof of stake as well as proof of work algorithms. It probably doesn't matter. So Most likely not. Uh, so uh, the new algorithm introduces a new kind of validator node called the, uh, the independent observer node. These nodes observe the blockchain in real time and detect inconsistencies uh, when a message appears. This works because... Uh, the double spend attacks are typically very quickly uh, in succession. Um, so if I'm going to try to double spend money, I'm going to do it now and now yeah. to make it as quickly as possible. So these nodes will look at that kind of transaction and go, that's no bueno fam. And uh, as long as 1% of the nodes pretty much agrees with that, that transaction doesn't occur, which means 99% uh, can be... Um, could be not effective, but faulty. Uh, can't think of the right word. But. You know, ninety-nine percent of the the monitoring nodes could be could miss something, and only one percent yep. have to catch it. It just it makes me wonder. I'm I'm not a genius when it comes to this stuff, so I could be <laughs> missing something wrong. But like, what's preventing you from taking one if, from just now needing one percent of the nodes to start blocking other people's transactions? 
and attacking it that way. You know, what's, what's that? I, I've identified the Ethereum address of someone I don't like. Well, all I have to do is have is control 1% of the monitoring nodes and now I can permanently block every transaction this guy tries. You know, like I, I'm just thinking out loud. There's probably mechanisms that prevent that from working. You know, but you know, whenever you introduce a new technology, especially when it's dealing with cryptocurrency, you have to think about every possible, you know, uh, consequence that this sure. new technology adds. And I'm sure that Vitalik has done that. He is, you know, absolutely a genius and, you know, highly regarded in his technical aptitude. So, um, you know, if he says that he likes it, then I'll get behind it too. But smarter people than me should look at it and give it a second look. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be awesome if you, if you don't need to worry about a 51% attack, you need to only worry about a 100% attack, then that pretty much means that if you're, you're worried about 100%, yeah, then it sounds like everyone forked away and you didn't, you know, is, is what happens, you know. Um, Take yeah, notes, Bitcoin. Yeah, cool stuff. You know, I hope that, I hope that our, uh, that other coins are watching this and hopefully, you know, learning and stealing good ideas. One day. Okay. Next, good old boy. Venezuela, our favorite country. Venezuela. Recent drone bomb survivor. So Venezuela has announced that they are replacing the boulevard with the boulevard so oh no Soberner Soberano. Soberano. It means sovereign. It does mean sovereign. It does mean sovereign. Uh, the boulevard so no, I did it again. Boulevard Sobernar Soberano. It's called the new boulevard. <laughs> New the Sovereign Boulevard there we go. will be tied to the Venezuelan Petro token, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is the first instance of something like this happening, where a fiat currency... A government-sponsored fiat currency is backed by a government-sponsored cryptocurrency. That's probably a first, yeah. I'm not right? aware of anyone else doing that before. Is it not the inverse? No. Nope. It's... it's Whoa. Yeah. It's, yeah. The... The crypto is the the one doing the backing, from what I can tell. Yes, the crypto in this instance is the gold. The note is the fascinating. Yeah, so, which is something of an abrupt one eighty from the country's overall stance on crypto. No. Uh yeah. Well, they they seem to be anti any other crypto. <laughs> so, ah, there's the kicker. Yeah, they they love crypto. Their crypto. Their crypto. Yeah. So it's like Bank of America loves crypto. Ripple. Ripple. Yeah. yeah. Well <laughs> yes. done. Yeah. Um, to continue with this story, uh, the Boulevard Soberano uh, is repla- uh, replacement will be removing five zeros instead of three to help combat the almost one million percent inflation that the country. Yeah, yeah. Imagine getting your paycheck on Friday and being able to almost not use it on Monday. Like, if there's ever been a population that is ripe for adoption of cryptocurrency, it's the Venezuelan people right now who have been rioting for over a year because their government is essentially starving them. And the government blames the black market, which has always existed, um, you know, and has existed well before they had their current problems. But since Venezuela's economy was based so heavily on oil and oil tanked, you know, a few years ago, they've been really... God, I didn't even think it yeah, up, <laughs> They've been really struggling. Um, so they're hoping that this action will, uh, lubricate the, uh, the economy a little bit. Um, anyway, the, uh, the interesting thing though is most economists believe that this action of, of just taking, you know, five zeros off of the currency and telling everyone it's fine, it's good. We're back to normal now usually has the inverse effect. It usually, um, you know, causes more problems than not. So yeah it's it's probably not yeah next story is this one (laughs) uh tether uh announced that they have printed or churned out roughly 415 million dollars worth of tether tether in august tether for our viewers at home that have not been paying attention is a cryptocurrency tied to the usd one tether is worth one dollar always forever and it's pretty much an intermediary going from usd to bitcoin yes it's a way a lot of exchanges used to get two times the fees right yeah um yeah so tether is super interesting because 
there's a lot of controversy as to whether Tether is actually worth $1. One Tether is worth $1 because there's not, to my knowledge, been any independent audits that have been publicly released that show that the you know creators of Tether have actually got the roughly $2.7 billion that they printed in Tether in a bank secured somewhere, you know, to, to back it, so to speak. I vaguely recall four or five months ago conversations of hey we want to audit that and they were like yeah sure yeah um yep which would kind of well, we trust you go yeah. on well uh i i believe they're based in japan um and i'm not entirely sure but uh someone is auditing them and the fact that they've continued to print tether during the audit uh typically if you're in trouble of getting caught doing something highly illegal like defrauding people or you know doing doing bad stuff like this uh, you stop doing it and, and, you know, while you're being monitored right. you're, and looked at under a microscope, right. they're not, which in, indicates that they're either crazy or naive or cr incredibly confident that they actually have the money that they say they do. I'm going to go with the latter. And I think that they actually have the money that they say they do. But the interesting thing is during the run up of, you know, last year, 2017, where crypto was just going through the roof, a lot of that money entered through Tether. So looking at money entering Tether and, and Tether printing more Tether bucks or whatever, USDT, um, it often is a uh, indicator as to what's going to happen in the rest Comes of the crypto. that next bull market. Maybe. Uh, I mean, they just printed $415 million worth of Tether, which is... In August, and the story is yeah. already a couple of days old, and right. there's still another week in August. Right. Um, so I think that might have been partially related to the recent jump but also another exchange went offline that caused the jump that's a separate story but um you know we, we saw it go from 6300 to 6800 over a course of like a minute you know and it was you know similar timing to when this information was released but also more relevant was the other exchange that went offline and suddenly the price dropped which meant that someone who was applying downward pressure must have been using that other exchange anyway uh the you know all this tether um it's it's interesting and people should pay close attention to it because if it turns out that they don't have the money that they say they do uh, a lot of what a lot of that money that entered crypto might not have actually ever existed in the first place and you just inflating the balloon only to pop harder you know that would be a very uh that would apply a lot of downward pressure i think on bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies if you were to find out that their uh, audit was illegitimate and did not prove that they actually have their money that they say they do yeah that makes but, sense um inversely though if the audit goes through and everyone says hey everything's great here right and you see a whole bunch of money being dumped yeah. into tether it's probably right. a pretty good sign that right. crypto is either exploding or about to explode yep possibly yep it's hard to, I mean, they could also use that same money to short crypto. So, you know, you don't know the intent of sure. of the money, but most money entering crypto is bullish. So, um, yeah, if you were going to short it, then you could just hang out at the um, the other uh, places where you can do that without going through Tether. So, speaking of crypto, going the pooper. <laughs> uh, so it's. The USD has been doing very strong as of late, um, which yeah. a lot of people believe is uh, what is causing crypto to probably drop a little bit. Yeah. Because when you have a very good, strong... Yep, and gold. When you have a good, strong economy with a good, strong currency, mm -hmm. people don't want to immediately abandon ship, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's funny. funny. We were just not long ago talking about how scary it is that our government can just print money willy-nilly and that you know eventually that could be disastrous for our own currency however um you know we're printing it real good right now yeah well i mean compared to the rest of the world you know i mean it looks like we're the fastest horse in the glue factory and it's just like uh it's you know we look awfully good compared to the rest <laughs> oh geez a roaster color motion there. <laughs> i'm just saying like it's you know, we're still still printing fiat money, which historically doesn't last very long. But, uh, you know, because the government's like power and printing and that 
usually doesn't do well for the people that hold the money. Something Venezuela, something. Yeah, similar, yeah. Fortunately, though, the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency. We've been able to export most of our inflation. So uh, hopefully that doesn't come back. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers crossed, guys. When it does. Yeah. But regardless, our economy is humming along quite nicely. It's the best it's been in decades. And it's nice. It feels good right now. Um, but... Uh, what boy, that boy, means is that bubble gonna burst? <laughs> you could, yeah, I mean, eventually you'll be right, yes, but you could, you know, <laughs> when is that? Is that 40% higher from now and then it bursts? I don't right, know. After the next bull market, and we're all millionaires, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, and you're millionaires Laugh safely from our private islands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think I dozed off. I'm dreaming, yeah, uh, yeah, but strong US dollar that is something that's definitely been happening because we look like a good place to park your money if you are worried about you know the rest of the world right now but the rest of the world's not doing so bad either i mean greece is just coming out of their um debt issues right now i mean they're still dealing with a lot of you know bad stuff turkey's dealing with some bad stuff right now turkey's it's, fine they love it sure yeah yeah uh yeah i, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want to convert my money to lira at the moment but what um, about uh, Iranian bucks? They're, oh, doing, they're doing good too, yeah, right? That sounds super illegal now. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, not if you use their crypto. <laughs> then it's yeah, different. Yeah, that'd be a fun one to explain to the IRS. No, um, no, it's crypto. It's Iranian crypto. It's fine. <laughs> that I didn't see that on the list, man. I uh, okay. Yep. Um, yeah, so strong U.S. dollar means that everything else that's priced in U.S. dollar goes cheaper, typically. I mean, so, well, it costs more expensive than everyone else. But since oil and, you know, gold and all these other things are often looked at as compared to the dollar, as the dollar goes up, the approximate value of everything else compared to in dollars goes down. So it takes less U.S. dollars to purchase what it used to cost, take more U.S. dollars to purchase. Same is happening to Bitcoin. Um, I don't know if I would agree that it's responsible for the majority of Bitcoin's downfall in the last few months. I think this is just Bitcoin being Bitcoin. Sure. <laughs> um, Bitcoin we've seen, going Bitcoin. Yeah, we've seen Bitcoin crash much harder than this many times, you know, in its lifetime. And you know, right now everyone's going, "Oh my gosh, I've lost so much money." Those who have invested. And if you wait five years, they'll probably be kicking themselves for selling. So, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, don't invest more than you're willing to lose, people. <laughs> Otherwise, it's called gambling. Yeah, it might be gambling anyway uh, when it comes to crypto because it's pretty much trying to predict, predict the weather at this point. Speaking of kicking yourself, the SEC smacks Mr. David Lawrence with a 30K fine and a lifetime ban of trading. This dude decided to create a, what's called a Tomahawk coin. He was in charge of a company called Tomahawk LLC. And in June 2017, uh, he came out with a plan to raise about $5 million in an ICO or an initial coin offering. The project would then, he advertised, used to cap that capital to drill 10 wells in California. The problem is, SEC claims that the ICO provided false information in their promotional statements. Pretty much, hey, this is going to do all this stuff for sure. This is a sure bet, do the thing. Um, they used inflated uh, projections of oil production and claimed that the Tomahawk uh, had already obtained leases for drilling on the sites. Uh, the firm has uh, tried to portray Lawrence as a, princi as a principled individual by claiming that he had a flawless background. So pretty much Superman came out and said, hey, man, I got all this. I got the area for drilling. I got the drills already. I just need a little bit of money to finish go line. Here's Tomahawk coin. Buy me. It's a good name. Yeah, it is. Um, so let's go back to the whole concept of an ICO real quick. Sure. So normally when you have a company and you want investment, you have to go through different funding rounds or eventually do an IPO, initial public offering which is highly regulated by the SEC. And you have to, you know, typically involve lawyers and have, you know, uh, a lot of uh, restrictions on what you can do and what you can't do and how you do it. 
So that sounds long, painful, and boring. Sure does yeah. Well, Possibly too, probably. Enter yeah. enter the age of cryptocurrency, and people are able to do initial coin offerings. Uh, which are we still going? Fuck yeah, we're still going. Yeah, go okay. uh, initial coin offerings, which are basically they can give you shares in their company in the form of a token that's in a cryptocurrency form. Um, so you can usually base it on another cryptocurrency like Ethereum and use tokens to, you know, create your own ICO, the Tomahawk token, if you will, um, and distribute those and have people pay you for those um, so that they can own a portion of your company. Some of those have done very well, but obviously there's a reason why the SEC likes to regulate these things is because a lot of people get taken advantage of. And the people who don't play by the rules or don't know the rules and kind of go out there promising, you know, everything to these potential investors, um, they end up hurting a lot of people. And that's what happened here, it looks like. Um, so most ICOs, like most cryptocurrencies, fail, uh, just like most startups fail. Um, but uh, it's probably a good thing, in my opinion, that the SEC is cracking down on ICOs. Yep. I don't think ICOs should be illegal. I think they should just have scrutiny and regulation that says, hey, if you promise investors something, there has to be a certain way you do it, and there has to be you know something that everyone can look at and um, be transparent about. So. Similar to an IPO. Right, just like an IPO. Still a good name. Are you down with OPP? Yeah, you know me. All right. Speaking of bad news. And finally. Not finally. There's there's always one more. We don't have a John McAfee minute this time. Darn. Although there he did tweet out more stuff about BitConnect or uh, BitFi. Yeah, and his gun too. That guy loves his gun. Loves it. Loves it more than his TV and his wife. <laughs> anyway, John McAfee's Twitter. He's just just yeah. when you're bored. You have a gander. It's worth it. Uh, Gizmodo recently released an article that is a, more of like a response or like a reaction to a New York Times article. So this is Inception, where we're reacting to the Gizmodo article, reacting <laughs> to the New York Times article. Um, so the New York Times pretty much followed roughly two or three different people or groups of people and their rise and fall with Bitcoin. Uh, one person was an English Jew that invested his entire life savings, about 23K at the time, and around when Bitcoin, I think, was like 17, 18K, and hodled too long and lost everything, and now his whole total earnings is about 4K. He, yeah. he lost, oof. Yeah, he lost what, 80-some-odd 80, 80 percent? Uh, next, there was a Korean woman that took her 90K savings and then decided to draw 25K against an insurance policy that she had. Oof. Put all of that into crypto because it's a sure bet, and that's down over 90% for her. She's even worse than the other guy. Uh, and then there's also, um, as the New York Times notes, uh, almost none of the companies which solicited mass investments via an only loosely regulated type of financial vehicle called an ICO, which we just talked mm -hmm. about, uh, have taken off, leaving their tokens useless except as speculative assets. It is also noted that the speculative wave is far from over, with some seeing the price crashes as an opportunity to stock up in case prices rise again. When? Not if, when. It's, it's like playing penny stocks, honestly. Like, sun Edison, baby! Yeah. Um, <laughs> sun Edison, yeah. Yeah. Um, that one hurts. Yeah. I mean, this is just another reminder to people that cryptocurrency is not a sure thing. Yeah, the technology is awesome and I'm very bullish on it, but nobody knows the value in the future. And, you know, it could be amazing, but it might be in a coin that hasn't been invented yet. You know, and it's kind of like trying to pick the right stock. And a lot of people, you know, um, are willing to invest way more than they're able to lose. And that's that's the problem. So, uh, you know, like anything, never invest more than you're willing to lose and don't invest in things that you don't understand. So those two pieces of information should be all that anyone needs to know. I'm gonna invest in my computer. Okay. Speaking of investing, 
Nobody surprised the SEC denied nine other new Bitcoin ETFs. Ah! It's another day of the week. Um, These ones are more, uh, these ETFs were, I believe, suggested by ProShares. Um, Another nine ETFs were shot down. Um, one of them will make it through. <laughs> one day, there will likely be an ETF that actually goes through. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if Bitcoin will all of a sudden start climbing in to a rocket and shooting straight up to the moon as a result. Yeah. Well, well a lot of people... wouldn't it be another way of getting money into crypto without Tether? Absolutely. Yeah. So one, you know, one of the problems with uh, people who want to invest in cryptocurrencies, it's kind of difficult to figure out how. You have to go to an exchange, link your accounts, go through your KYC, know your customer, you know, authorization stuff, and get all hooked up, and then you can invest in whatever crypto you want, typically. Um, that takes a lot of know-how, a lot of technical know-how. Um, there's a lot of, you know, people who just don't have the time for that, and but they have 401ks. They have other, you know, investments that they're that are traditional. Well, an exchange traded fund based on a cryptocurrency would allow them to dedicate or you know delegate part of their investments portfolio into a stock essentially that is based on cryptocurrency that rises falls with the underlying asset so as more money gets pumped into that ETF that ETF would then have to purchase a cryptocurrency to you know make sure that they have an equal amount of backing if you will um, which would create demand and increase the price uh, if enough volume happened. So there are trillions of dollars sitting in people's 401ks and stuff and people who would probably love to throw a portion of that at cryptocurrency uh, in one form or another. So an ETF could be very bullish for you know Bitcoin or whichever cryptocurrency the ETF is based on. Um, that's, that's something that, um, you know, that's the theory, at least. Um, we'll see how many people actually want to do that. I bet the moment it's authorized, though, you're going to see a, a whole bunch of news articles saying why you shouldn't do it. Of course. Um, as, as is typical. Cowards! Yeah. I would say that Naysayers. If, if you're bullish on cryptocurrency, then throwing 1% or 2% of your portfolio into it is possibly an okay thing to do. As long as it's you know not more than you're willing to lose. So. 100%. Good caveat. Yeah. 100%. All of it. All in. I mean, if that one or two percent becomes eighty percent because it explodes, then sure, you're doing great. But four hundred one k, you mean the stockpile of beanie babies that are under the bed, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I can trade those out, I'm I'm going ham. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Amelia. That's. I mean, that's uh, beanie baby. Uh, cryptocurrencies are often compared to that because people look at you know, the craze behind it. And they go, this is just another Beanie Baby thing. This is just tulip mania again. You know, with the exception of the fact that these cryptocurrencies are designed to do exactly the opposite of what those did, which is prevent unlimited inflation, you know, and prevent the creation of, of anything new that isn't, you know, known ahead of time. What did you have to Beanie Baby's tulip mania? Tulip mania. Uh, Prince song. That's all I got. No. Uh, <laughs> Was it Italy in the 1600s? Um, oh! I, I don't know. Uh, I know what you're talking basically, about. Basically, the demand for tulips just skyrocketed, yeah. and it became this craze, and it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that just kept snowballing right. until the point where people were trading houses for tulips. You know, and, it, it, and from, yeah, from... Far away, that looks like really dumb and really crazy. Well, that's how people see cryptocurrency sometimes um, because they don't understand it. They don't understand the fundamentals behind it or they don't believe in the fundamentals behind it, which is fair. You're welcome to have that opinion. Um, there's a lot of people who I think have looked a little deeper and realized that it's a lot different. Right. And um, that if you're worried about tulip mania, then you should probably also worry about your regular dollars. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's just, just like you can grow tulips, you can grow fiat currency. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Yeah, I think that about rounds it out for us. I don't have anything yeah, else. Do you? No, sir. Boss man. No nope. boss man. All right. Thanks, so everybody. that'll do it for us. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe. 
What else? Hit the bell to get notified. Check us out on Facebook. Tell your friends. Twitter. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your dog. Tell Everybody. Your Everybody. You can go to a graveyard. Tell everybody there too. As long as they can like, subscribe. I don't care. No. Love it. On the grave, it's Wi-Fi. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they have LTE or something on most of them. Um. Yeah, that'll do it for us. Thank you very much for watching. Good evening. Or listening.